Welcome to another episode of Technically Speaking, Arico's podcast aimed at helping Icelandic and Nordic companies make the most of digital transformation. My name is Alex Moyle and I'm your host. My job is to get the most out of our guests to help you learn the most about how technology can transform the world, but also your organisation. There's one trend that is impacting every developed country, and that is the ageing population. How, in a world where we have less people paying tax, do we support more people that aren't active in the working population? More importantly than that, COVID-19 has shown that the worst place for the elderly is in hospitals. But how do we keep those that are vulnerable, those that have long-term health needs, safe at home whilst also being cared for? If you look at the population stats of Iceland, whilst the population as a whole has grown 44,000 over the last 10 years, those aged between 60 and 80 have increased by 16,500 people. In fact, there's 2,000 more people over 80. And the more as a society we can help those individuals lead a full and healthy life whilst being at home and being cared for at home, the better it is for everyone as a whole. I'm super excited about today because our guests are at the forefront of making it easier for those that are elderly or needing long-term care to live fuller, safer lives at home. We've got Helen Dempster, founder of Corantis 360, a platform designed to make the most of technology to allow people to receive better care, but also medical attention whilst living at home. We're also joined by Andrew Carr, who's the Chief Commercial Officer. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and look forward to their story of taking a passion to help a relation and turning that into a cutting edge technology firm that will help hundreds, if not millions of lives. Thank you for joining the Arigo podcast, Technically Speaking. Helen, tell us a little bit about your, your story. Thanks, Alex. So the story begins with primarily my grandfather, uh, roughly about 25, 26 years ago. He was diagnosed with Alzheimer's at 62 and Parkinson's at 64. So double whammy, very, very young age. And it inspired us as a family to to bring him, my grandmother, over to a a family built um, home next door to our family home and uh, to care for them. And I guess in that process, we learned an awful lot about the broken social care system and the way that, I wouldn't use the word abandoned, but you feel abandoned when somebody has a label attached to them at a young age. So we utilised various different care methods. We utilised, you know, the normal traditional care processes. So domiciliary care, a live-in carer, and it wasn't until probably five, six years before my grandfather passed away that as a family, we just felt we weren't getting enough transparency and we wanted to do more for him and, and for my grandmother to support them. It's definitely, it's very difficult in, in today's world where often people aren't living close to their, their relations. Obviously in Iceland, it's 
all centered around Reykjavik, but there's there's lots mm-hmm. of people that live in the capital, but but have family out in in the smaller towns, villages, and cities. Absolutely, and I think it's key to remember that you know, <laughs> as much as we'd like to say that we, we we visit and we speak to our family members on a regular basis, we are so busy with normal life that actually taking time to care for somebody you really don't understand how much it takes of your time until you do it. And I think that's the important thing to remember, that it is a full-time vocation when you when you start to look after a family member. My husband gave up his full-time engineering job to care for my grandfather because he, he'd become physically um, less able-bodied. So it meant that we needed somebody to be able to, to lift and pull and, and you know help him. When my husband took over that role and we supported him as a family, we started to see patterns of behaviour. And those behaviour patterns indicated something was perhaps wrong medically or clinically. So we learned very quickly the trigger signs for UTIs, for example. And when somebody has Alzheimer's or a, a mental health condition, a UTI can have a huge impact on A, their recovery, and B, the indications that that UTI causes long term. So a urinary tract infection will have a massive impact on somebody's uh, cognitive capabilities. So especially when they have, um, a, you know, a, a mental illness or, or, or issue. Looking at somebody with Alzheimer's, for example, having a UTI can really have a massive impact on their cognitive capability. And sometimes you can't get them back to where they were prior to that infection. So how did this, how did this frustration then lead to you being to where you are today? So unfortunately for us, we weren't able to um, pursue what we'd found whilst my grandfather was alive. But when he passed away, it gave us a little bit more time to focus on the data that we'd collected over the years we'd looked after him. And we saw patterns. We recognised the patterns of behaviour and changes. I was very fortunate to have um, a friend who's an architect within IBM. I took what we'd found to him and said, can we use this in any way, shape or form? Is there anything we can do to to build something to prevent other people from going through what we've been through? And was that, is that, was that with a view to preventing UTIs or, or managing them more effectively? No, it was to actually enable individuals to live more independently for longer at home. Because looking at the data, what we realised was actually perhaps at the beginning you didn't need to have a full-time carer. It was just that, you know, the, the spouse or the sandwich carer, as they're referred to in the UK, needed support. So, you know, to allow to allow your wife to go and have her hair done once a week and give her an hour's break, knowing that she could sit in the hairdresser's chair and know that everything was okay at home because you're following your normal patterns, that was what inspired me to build Corantis 360. Fantastic. And, and it's interesting that one particular trait that you were finding sort of unlocked around UTIs unlocked a bigger picture of looking after the whole person and managing their, their, their well-being. Absolutely. And I think you have to, you have to take this, um, this solution 
with a, a complete 360 view, which is not only does it support the VIP as we deem them, so the, the individual that's in receipt of care will need support, but it also supports their family. It supports the extended family and the geographically dispersed family, which is what we've already touched upon. But it also supports carers that are coming in. It supports clinical individuals who can look at the data and make a decision based around what they're seeing. Fantastic. So so I guess what you're telling me is that if the clinician has access to that data, they can support and care for that individual without necessarily them always having to make it to the doctor, especially in today's world where they where people don't want to necessarily go into in, into that environment. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think something that, that people tend to forget is when when people become less mobile or they are at risk clinically, the last thing they want to do is to traipse to a hospital or a GP surgery and sit in there with everybody else. Yeah. But the other factors are that actually if they have got a cognitive impairment, so Alzheimer's or dementia of some kind, that can be a traumatic journey. That can be a horrendous you know, experience for them and their carers. You're also more at risk of falls and everything else that goes with it. And so, I guess part of that is often you've got a spouse caring for, yeah. for someone that's got a condition, but actually that spouse, by nature of their being a spouse, may well have their own conditions as well and frailties. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. which makes it challenging. I'm going yeah. to pause you there, Helen, because we've got mm. someone in the room who, who hasn't spoken yet. And we've got Andrew, the Chief Commercial Officer for Carantis 360. And so, Andrew, share with us a little bit about your background in healthcare and looking after sort of individuals' well-being. Thanks, Alex. My, my work in life has pretty much been spent entirely in the IT industry on the business side. And for the last 15 years or so, I've specialised in healthcare IT. So I've had some, some great exposure to some wonderful technologies that are helping benefit people in the healthcare arena. But as you've already alluded to, you know, technology in healthcare is a huge focus area. And the, the, the secret of delivering technology in healthcare is to make it integrated and to make it uh, holistic across somebody's entire journey. So we we are now taking a very uh, joined up view of an individual's well-being, their, their behaviours at home, their, their vital signs, which are very often linked to their behaviours, and making that information available to people that can intervene and, and assist in the well-being of that individual. In, in the UK, there is this very strong push from the government to bring together clinical care and social care. And I'm so absolutely 100% certain that that model is, is going to be prevalent worldwide. So we see ourselves as a major contributor to this holistic view of an individual that should be, should be able to be accessed by family members, by carers, and by clinicians. The, the nature is the fact that often doctors spend the first 15 or 10 minutes of their, of their sort of consultation really catching up on what other people see every day. And so if you've got carers taking temperatures, uh, tracking vital signs, making notes of falls and behavioural changes, the doctor almost has a much more detailed consultation before they even get in the room. You're absolutely spot on with that, Alex. And, and what we envisage, and I don't think we're very far away from this now, 
is that, you know, an individual's GP, as they're called in, in the UK, a general practitioner, the, the, the primary care doctor, when they're looking at a patient's records on, on their screen, they should, alongside all the medication and the clinical records, they should be able to see what's happening to that individual from a social care perspective. So they should be able to see if, if there's been any events in their home that might reflect on their holistic well-being, yeah. not just, you know, what medication are they on at the moment. The, the, the whole thing becomes much more interconnected. You can sort of foresee a time where doctors really just, there's, there's, a, there's a like almost a, uh, a room with a dashboard of people's names and it's got all their vital signs and it's got red green amber and and in some ways you're rather than waiting for someone to be at an acute stage before they enter the health system or the medical care you're able to sort of use the volume of data you get to predict when 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 behave when issues may be may be arising alex you've either done your homework incredibly well or you've got an unbelievable perception of what we're doing because you've touched on a number of key points there we do have the dashboard that you've described and we do use those red, amber, green warning lights. So we can predict whether somebody is, is at higher risk of an incident that will require intervention. So what, what our goal is, is to tell people in advance that there is an issue and then it can be managed in advance. Yeah. And that is the, that is the absolute uh, ethos of, of what we do. Yeah. And one of the one of the things uh, that's good about being Icelandic is that as a small nation, it's much easier to create things that are integrated. So Aiko was responsible for developing the patient portal within Iceland. But that's not only a doctor's patient portal. It allows the individual to be able to access that portal as well. And we've recently developed the test and trace system for Iceland. So that's now integrated into it. And I think wow. there's definitely a, a push from the Icelandic government to make sure that that the, the health systems are, are are integrated to care for everyone in society. I mean that's wonderful, and and, and I think that is the global vision that, that the the government here has to to provide exactly that, and and it's wonderful wonderful to hear that, that it has already been achieved. Well, I wouldn't say has been achieved. It's a it's a rolling it's a, um, it's a rolling program. moving moving target, and and obviously COVID. 19 is impacting people's motivations to move into supported care. Uh, yeah. There's more of a push for people to be supported at home. So the, course, the needs yeah. and, and what why I was excited about having you on the podcast is people are more reticent of moving their relations into a, into a home and want to keep them at home longer because that keeps them safer longer. And, yeah. and, and, and that's why I guess it's it, in some ways it now is your time. Do you know the, the whole coronavirus crisis has focused a huge amount of, of attention on the, the healthcare and the social care industry. And I, I almost feel embarrassed to say this, but if there is any good thing to come out of this dreadful event, it's the fact that we've accelerated what is happening in those industries dramatically over the last nine, 10 months. And I think that momentum now will continue. Yeah. You know, it looks as if we're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel regarding COVID. And I hope and pray that the, the changes that we're seeing in the social and clinical care systems 
will continue at the pace that we've seen over that last eight or nine months. Absolutely. So let, let's get into the, into the tech stack. So Helen, you said that you had a friend at IBM. So obviously uh, IBM is a, is a really important partner for Arico. We, we use it for a lot of our clients, whether it be AI or, or managing hardware and software. So, so tell me a little bit about the journey. So you, you approached a friend in AI. What, what happened then? Well, I approached a friend who works as an architect within IBM and asked for their Firstly, I, I guess their guidance and and their their thoughts around what we were trying to achieve, and immediately he saw the benefits. His point to me was that you know IoT and AI was a solution waiting for a problem, and actually what Grantis was was a problem looking for a solution. So they they married like hand in glove, and that's truly. I think why we have been so supported by IBM and the way that they've they've helped and supported us through this this build. Fantastic. And I think that's when we work with companies going through digital transformations, often the technology is quite abstract mm-hmm. and it's 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 the connection between the problem that you have in your organization or in your market and connecting those dots together. So it's great that they they helped you to do that. What next? Did you have to go and raise money? What was that? Because you've still got a vision and you've still got someone that says, yeah, we could help with that. Yeah, sure. So we, we yes, we went and raised um, some funding. Um, we, we got some uh, amazing angel investors that, that invested and believed in, in what we were doing. We have a development company who have worked with us from day one. And again, you know, approaching these guys, um, explaining the problem, their finance director at the time was an ex-ICU matron and she wow. got it straight away, got it straight away. And in fact, they they became shareholders within the business. Yeah. So it's it's a powerful story in the sense that when once you've been touched by the need or, or the receipt of care, you get it. And which tools do you use from, from, from IBM? So we're based on um, IBM Cloud and we use Watson. So um, sat on the Watson Health Cloud, we use their AI machine learning. Yeah, well, it, it is as, as Helen's described there. We use, we're, we're using uh, an embedded AI engine and, and machine learning. And, and for people that aren't familiar with those terms, essentially that allows the software, it allows the solution to, to learn over a period of time the way that individuals are behaving. So it's a constant iterative process where the solution itself is picking up on people's behaviours. It knows what the normal behaviour is over a given week or a month. And when we identify changes in that behaviour, that's then when we issue the alerts to to carers or family members. And I guess when I think about sort of the, the the connected things, the internet of things that goes with that. I think, well, maybe you have an iPad and maybe you have a heart rate monitor, but but what sort of things do you have connected in the house that then connects to the the, the machine, as it were? There, there are many devices and we, we tend to focus on, 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 a, on a core sort of subset of those devices. The internet of things is is a vision that allows the future to be interconnected. That That is the intent. So smart buildings you may have heard of, mm-hmm. you know, it can sense when people are in and out of rooms and turn lights on and off accordingly. But what we're deploying is a subset of, of the Internet of Things using a protocol called Enotion, 
Now, in their, in, in their catalogue, they have something like 4,000 specific devices that can communicate over their IoT protocol. We use a subset of those. So we can monitor when people are in and out of rooms. We can tell if somebody is in or out of bed. We can tell when doors are being opened and closed. We can tell whether somebody is boiling a kettle or using a microwave. We can tell if somebody is in a bathroom and, and, and you know, undertaking bathroom activities. But all of this monitoring is discrete. There's no video, there's no audio, there's no invasive technology at all. But because of this, this combination of, of discrete wireless sensors, tiny wireless sensors, we can build up this pattern of behavior that is learned over time. And that's where the AI piece right. comes in. So, so for instance, it could be Gwythion always boils a kettle at 9am in the morning and then goes and sits in the lounge for 40 minutes. And if Gwythion doesn't turn on a kettle by 10, does that rate, is it the type of thing where it goes, this is an unusual behavior? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Or, or, or the same individual, you know, has opened a door at 3am and the door hasn't been closed. So that is a real alert because it could well be that individual sadly has dementia and has gone for a walk in the middle of the night. So, ah, so I guess you have it on the front doors mm-hmm. and, and the access doors and that, that is a higher level of, in of danger than going into a spare bedroom, say. Of course, indeed. Or, or, or even, you know, the fact that somebody has got out of bed at, at 3 a.m. and hasn't returned to bed. You'd want to understand why that might be. Could be they've just gone to make a cup of tea. But, but you want to know. Because we can know, we can track, uh, as I say, discreetly uh, and w- without any invasive technology, we can understand the behaviour. What does that then do? So let's say, for example, we're collecting this data, we see something that's out of the normal. Yeah. What happens next? So we send an alert, a push alert, uh, through a mobile app or, or through a text message, however you want to receive it, and we can configure where that alert goes. So it could be going to a family member, could be going to a, a carer, could be going to a care organisation, could be going to a clinician, could be going to a third-party uh, alert management company, but it can go to all of those places. So all of that is is configurable within, within the solution. And what about the care data when you've got carers either in the home or people that are going in, I, I think you call them the sandwich droppers in the, in the UK, the people that go in for three times a day to give meals or, or help with, with medicines? So they, they can have the app on their phone for that specific individual. So they can see the activity. They can see any alerts before they actually visit. And, and Helen alluded to this earlier, that that's a huge benefit for the carer because they know in advance if there are any issues with, with the person they're caring for. What about security? Because obviously the, we, we've got sensors which... It, you, you mentioned discreetly, but there'll still be some some concerns. You've got private medical data. So how do you, from a cybersecurity perspective, protect your hub, as it were? So every, everything, everything is protected with secure, high security, uh, military grade algorithms. So all of the data that all of the data is encrypted uh, in communication, and then it sits in the in the secure IBM Watson cloud, which is the specific healthcare cloud that Watson has. Right. So all, all of the data, uh, and, and, and we conform to, to various European and national standards around the data protection. Okay. And Helen, what was the time span between starting the development of the product and putting it into the first customer's home? Roughly 18 months. 
Okay. And and talk me through the, the first few months of having your products live in 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 in, in households <laughs> nerve-wracking <laughs> seeing the baby formed and and out on the street um no it was it was mind-blowing you know to, to think sort of you know less than than two years before we'd we'd sat around a table discussing this idea and to see it come to fruition and now being able to help people was just amazing there was an incident with our first care company that took this on who had a, a lady who lived on her own and she had previously had a fall prior to the the Quantus 360 solution going in she'd had a fall in her hallway on a, a friday afternoon and the carer had already been and gone and she couldn't move she'd broken her hip and she lay there until saturday morning when the postman eventually heard her shouting for help Oh my goodness, that's that's horrific. It is, but she's now got the Quantus 360 solution in her home and she has had a similar fall, not to the same degree, she didn't break a bone, but the care agency knew within 15 minutes where she was and what she'd done and were able to go and you know support her and get her up and back into a chair very safely within a, a very short time span. And that's tremendously reassuring for the families as well as the carers. Absolutely. You know, nobody wants anybody to suffer. And I think that's what this is about. This is about giving people independence. Nobody wants to be removed from their family home, their lifelong home, where they are, where they're comfortable and put into a care environment unless they really have to. So having this type of technology or any technology in the home that can support that has got to be a good thing. Who pays for this? Because ultimately technology has tremendous value to give, but also 18 months of development, using tools, trial, error. Someone's got to pay for it at some point. So the, the family that pays or is it the government that pays? How does it work? Um, I'll let Andrew cover that one. But what I would say is that when we started this development journey, I was very firm in my belief that this needed to be developed with not a shoestring budget, but a budget that most people will be able to afford, not just the few. This is a mass, a mass product, not not an elite product. So, I mean, Andrew's probably better off at explaining the benefits and costs that's a tremendous that's a tremendous set of values though to start as a starting point which is to, to make it a mass product unfortunately in in today's society especially in the uk i don't know I, I would imagine that it's the same pattern globally but in the uk the people that need this type of support and, and care are people who perhaps don't have the available funds to be able to you know support a big budget software and that's why you know my view was this is for 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 the many and it needs to be a budget product and also because these aren't one-off costs so i've got a client who's a healthcare provider and that their average sort of lifespan of caring for someone in the home is like three years so from when they first start supporting to maybe when either they pass away or go into a home Mm -hmm. Like, so so this is, it, I guess it needs to be affordable for them to want to keep it for the long term. Absolutely. I mean, yes, you're right. Sort of time span for, for in-home care is between three to five years as a general rule of thumb. That said, 
this technology can actually go with the individual into a, uh, a care environment so they can continue to, to learn and assess that individual. So it's not something that is static. And again, if you're a care provider purchasing this and, you know, the client does unfortunately pass away, it is reusable. You can, you can transfer the majority of this to another client. So it's never, ever a lost cost. Fantastic. Andrew? Let, let, let me give you some, some indications of, of the cost because that, that should put things easily into perspective. So we charge for the solution uh, at a rate of £250 for a year. Now, that is the, the complete solution, all of the alerts, all of the reporting, £250 a year. If you imagine the cost of a stay in a care bed, either in a hospital or, or in a care home, that's typically and very, very conservatively about £250 a day. So right. you can imagine immediately, I hope, that local authorities or local government or hospitals are really keen to see this technology being used because, first of all, it frees up hospital beds or it frees up care beds in, in, in care homes. But secondly, it saves them an absolute fortune and people get to live in their own home environment yeah. for longer. So, so put that into Icelandic context, it's uh, 46,000 uh, krona is roughly what, the, what £250 a year would be. Does that include the bits of kit that they get as well? No, that, 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 is, the, that is the software cost. And we always say we're a software company. But you're absolutely right. Up front, there is a small investment needed in, in the, the sensors that do the actual monitoring. That's a one-off cost. Typically, and forgive me for not being able to do the conversion cal- calculation, in UK pounds, that's normally around £500. But as how About 91,000 kroner. So that's wonderful mental arithmetic. No, I just opened up Google to make sure that I've done the translation. So... <laughs> I, I'll take your word on the on the conversion rate, but but let me just stress that's a one-off cost that that hardware can be redeployed. So when you've got healthcare providers that are maybe uh, commissioned by the health authorities, they can move those sensors from one patient yes. to the next, and actually that's no different than the beds they move into patients' homes, ability kit that they provide for the people that they're caring for. No, we don't think so. We, it's just unbelievable value. And when, when we put together, you know, sort of, sort of price comparisons for, for uh, local authorities or, or government, it, it's almost crazy the amount of money that is available to save. And when you combine that with the, the fact that people are much more comfortable and happy staying in their own homes for as long as they possibly can, it, it is a completely, completely uh, compelling argument and i think the exciting thing from the family's perspective it actually engages them in the care because Mm -hmm. they've got notifications so it's a bit like i mean we're addicted to notifications we just love the ping and and what it's doing is the ping's coming regularly enough to sort of say come check on your mother come (laughs) check on your mother (laughs) your mother's still here Mm -hmm. and and that's that's tremendously empowering for the family because that burden can be spread not just for those that are local but those that are in other, other parts of the world as well. Indeed. Absolutely. Fantastic. What's next? I know you're in uh, a number of healthcare providers already. 
There's some really interesting, uh, really interesting developments on the horizon, Alex. We've already talked about the ability to capture vital signs. What we didn't say is that that the capture of those vital signs is being done using a mobile device completely unobtrusively, no contact whatsoever. It actually uses the camera in a mobile device to capture, capture somebody's heart rate, their uh, respiratory rate, their blood pressure, and very shortly, their blood oxygen saturation levels and their blood sugar. And are, they, are they carrying that on them? Well, either if, if, somebody's, um, if somebody's cognitive ability is high enough to let them do it themselves, they can do it almost as a selfie. Uh, they can use the, for, you know, the, 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 the selfie camera on a phone to do that. Or a family member or a carer can, can do the same thing using a mobile device. So it is unbelievable technology. When I first saw it, I could not believe it. But it's capturing all of that data at medical device grade standards. Mm. Fantastic. And let's say let's say you've got conservatively, let's say you've got two thousand homes at any point in time. What data are you collecting that you can use to prove the care for everybody? Because doctors remember see people at an acute stage. They yes. don't necessarily get to see the, the minutiae before it becomes acute. Indeed. Well, actually, I, I, was, I was leading on to tell you about a development that includes a different type of, of monitoring technology using uh, something called LIDAR, which is a, a different type of sensor, which we're now looking to integrate with our existing components. The LIDAR piece uh, is a much more multifaceted option that allows the ability to interpret specific movement of an individual. So what we believe we will be able to do in, in the relative short term is predict when somebody is at risk of a fall because we'll be able to monitor their gait, the, the way they're moving, the way they're walking. Mm -hmm. So when we see changes in that gait, which could indicate somebody is at more risk or higher risk of falling, then again, we will raise the alert. Mm. Now, yeah, I'm sure you've, you've probably read, the cost of a fall, the cost of treating a fall is unbelievably high. Yeah. Uh, here's a chance for your mental arithmetic again, Alex. Yeah, God, challenge my fingers because I'm going to type it in. In the UK, the cost of treating a fall is around about £40,000. That is, this is a big number, <laughs> 7.3 million kroner. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is a big. So clearly you can see not not just from a, from a health perspective if we can stop people falling in advance or predict when they're at risk there's a huge you know well-being mm -hmm. element to Because that. the challenge with a fall is it's not just about the fall it's about getting them back out of hospital and we have big issues mm -hmm. with in the UK don't we of of people that go in especially when they've got dementia it's often that fall is the trigger for another form of care mm. and, and it, it sort of it, it accelerates so many things where effectively you've got bed blocking is a tremendously blunt term to use, but, but a lot of the capacity of the health system is taken up with individuals that have recovered from the fall but haven't necessarily got they, 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 what they need has changed significantly. Well, and also the, the, the most dangerous place for an elderly person to be is in hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And I speak from personal experience. I had an aunt, an elderly aunt, 
who suffered a fall a few months ago. And while she was in, in hospital, she, um, she, she got coronavirus. So it was not a healthy, and, and I'm delighted to say she's since recovered. But, you know, hospitals are not good places to be for elderly people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, I've, I had a, I've got new neighbours now, but my neighbours up until the beginning of this year were very elderly. And just your story around UTIs and the changing of behaviour that comes with that. Mm-hmm. I haven't experienced it, but I can see how that, how that would make a difference. So, so what about global domination? Because obviously the UK market's a big market. It's one of the biggest health markets in the, in the world. But when, when, when are we going to see, when are we going to see you becoming the equivalent of Google for healthcare? <laughs> tomorrow. You'll see that tomorrow. <laughs> um, we, we have, we already have, um, we have customers in other countries in Europe. We have a partnership with an organization in the USA that is, is taking our solution to market in the USA. We're in discussions with an organization in Japan. We have an active program in place to recruit international partners to, to resell our product. So we're, we're very confident that as the, as the gospel is spread about what we can do, that that uptake will, will follow internationally. And is there, is there a chance of you developing your own protocol where people can then build products and tools that that then connect with your engine, as it were? Absolutely, we do. And, and we're also in conversations with other major, major names in the healthcare and care sectors for essentially white label versions of our solution. Mm-hmm. So they want to incorporate the Carantis 360 engine into complementary wraparound solutions that they already have. I think it's I think it's also sorry worth adding that we've also spoken to um a big farmer and looking at the indications of change of medication and how that can have a negative effect on somebody's health and well-being in the home is also something else that we are very keen to explore. Fantastic well you have both been fantastic guests what I love about this podcast is that we get to meet founders that are genuinely trying to change the world and I'm super excited about you becoming a unicorn. I'm sure you'll you'll find a way to spend that billion when it when it when it comes. But aside from the the company success, you'll make a massive difference to hopefully millions of people's lives and how they not only look after their family but the individual that benefits themselves. Thank you, Alex, and thank you for inviting us to to join you. It's been lovely. Absolute yeah. pleasure. And to remind everybody, you can be found at carantis360.com, K-A-R-A-N-T-I-S 360.com. And I guess if there's any budding partners out there, give Andrew a call, because I know he'd be excited about that. I'd be delighted to hear from you, but please accept the fact that my Icelandic is not terribly good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, no worse than my Icelandic, I promise you, So, uh, which is fantastic. So thank you both uh, very much. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Whoa, that was brilliant. Andrew and Helen were truly inspiring. And what I love about that is that the technology is built off a personal need. It's about solving a problem that they've experienced and then they've gone out and tried to use what the world is creating to help solve that need. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. And remember, 
We want voices of people that are going to transform the world using technology. So you're listening to this and thinking, you know what, my company's doing great things with technology, whether it be changing how we work internally or making the world a better place. Please feel free to reach out to us and we will look forward to having you as a guest on the podcast. So until the next episode, goodbye. Goodbye.